0: So I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, We're going to record this bit. I'm not going to put anything up on the screen very deliberately, um, but I want to tell you a little bit about now. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man or woman found it, they hid it again, and then in their joy they went and they sold everything they had And they bought that field. Again, let me tell you another story. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything he had and he bought it. So 10 days ago, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II died. And for many of us, she was the only monarch that we've ever known in the UK. Her reign was the longest of any British sovereign, and it was one of the longest in world history. And as you all know, thousands have paid tribute to her. They've queued for hours to pay their respects, and I know people here in the room have gone up and queued to the catafalque to see her coffin. I went up yesterday, we were going to queue, we were going to Buckingham Palace until we were told the Buckingham Palace queue was three hours. Um, It's a busy place, London, at the moment. It's very powerful. People wanted to pay their respects to the Queen. And the Queen faced many challenges. She led our nation moving from world wars into um, a post-industrial age, into the internet age. Um, For 70 plus years, she ruled us. She spoke of her faith in God, Continually, a personal faith which sustained her, we know, through some incredibly tough times, not least in the last few years. Her personal dramas were laid out and played out on a national and an international stage, and none of us would want that. And this week, today, tomorrow, we're going to remember her, and our thoughts and our prayers are already with her, with her family, with the nation, and for the new king because without any votes and without any conscious decision on our part, because of historical precedents, those of us in the UK have moved from being Queen Elizabeth's subjects to becoming the subjects of King Charles III. We are part of a new kingdom with a new ruler. So I want to talk a little bit today for 15 minutes about kingdoms and i want to talk about one in particular because the bible says lots about kingdoms and already today we've sung about it and people have read about kingdoms the old testament has got two books called kings and they're full of stories about kings and queens and their comings and goings and some are good kings or queens and some are really bad kings and queens and the new testament mentions the word kingdom 160 times and the first king of israel the people of god the jews is a king named king Saul and he's quite a man he's tall he's handsome he's strong he's rugged he's the king that the israel- <laughs> a bit like me he's not like me he's the king that the israelites want they beg for a king they want a ruler they want somebody that makes them like all the other nations, is what they say. So they want this figurehead. But his rule is not a good rule. Saul's rule is not positive. So God decides and tells his prophet Samuel, we're going to replace him with a king after my own heart. And so instead of getting the biggest, boldest, strongest, greatest of leaders, King David comes along. Now, he's not weak. And we need to be really clear about this. David is not a weak man. He is quite small. He is the youngest of seven sons. Um, But the most important thing is he's a man after God's own heart. And so he plays musical instruments, and he worships God, and he sings, and he dances. But he also fights and he's strong. And, and, And I guess men want to be like David, and women do love David. Tens of thousands sing of David because he is rooted in God. But after his death, after this servant king, this singer, this musician, the kingdom of Israel gets divided. It gets messed up. There's lots of kings. It gets split into two. And there are lots of kings, good and bad, um, who choose their paths after David's death. And this continues for quite a few hundred years until the prophets start speaking of a new king and a new kingdom. And the Bible's beautifully set out. Lots of people have thought about how the Bible should be structured. So we go from this time of kings in Israel and in Judah into the prophets, where the prophets start saying, we're going to talk about a new kind of king. God said to David, and we're in Samuel here, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish a kingdom. Your offspring is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And the prophet Micah said something similar. He said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And the prophet Isaiah says a lot about this. He's really important in bridging old things and new things. So he says this, In that day, the rod of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And as the Jews thought of this rod of Jesse, which basically means somebody coming out of Jesse, Jesse's son was King David, David had son Solomon, and so it goes all the way through... What they were thinking about was a military leader, a big, bold, massive king who was going to smash. Like Judas the Maccabean, who in the 2nd century BC basically came and tried to smash up what was going on in Israel. He was called the hammer. But actually, they were thinking that there was this bloke who would come, a military leader, who'd smash everything and establish a physical reign. But throughout Scripture, the message is clear that God is actually setting up a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It is all-powerful. But the king, the everlasting king, will have a different personality and a different manner. So even in Isaiah, we read things like this. This king here is my servant whom I'm upholding. He's my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He won't falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope." So we're hearing about an eternal king here who is a servant king, who's got the spirit of God on him, who brings justice, who's compassionate, who's faithful, who doesn't falter, and who will win. It's a new kind, a wholly different kind of king. And Isaiah goes on and he says this, he says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, the Lord anoints kings, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And that's the very verse when Jesus stands up in the temple at the beginning of his ministry that Jesus quotes. And he appropriates the verse. He takes the verse onto him and then he projects it to everyone and he actually says today in your presence this has become reality he becomes the king of good news the king of good news for the poor he binds up the brokenhearted. he will set the captives free he will bring release from darkness for every kind of prisoner he tells us what he is And he tells us what he's going to do. He shows us what his kingdom is going to be like. Now, the Romans, when Jesus dies at the end of his ministry, nail something above his head. Big sign. And the sign says he's king of the Jews. And they put the crown on his head. Because they think when he dies, his kingdom is going to end. But that's not what happened. So when Queen Elizabeth passed away, she died. She left her earthly body, and I believe she went to heaven. The catafalque has got, we believe, her body in it. And people will grieve and they'll mourn. But we've already seen a new monarch for the UK, a new king. Her reign, her wonderful, long, overwhelmingly positive reign, is over. But that's not what happened to King Jesus. Because unlike many kings and queens, usually kings, throughout history, who promised that their kingdom is going to last forever, who promised that they are the eternal God, and it's gone on in culture after culture after culture, this Jesus is immortal. This Jesus This King Jesus is different, and his kingdom is everlasting. So in the Old Testament, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in the lion's den, Daniel, said this. He said, I had a vision, and I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led in his presence. And he was given all authority, all glory, all sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the difference with Jesus and any other king or queen is Jesus doesn't die. In fact, the opposite. With his death, he destroys death and the power of death. And so he destroys in an eternal sense, not necessarily now, but he destroys the need to mourn and the need to feel loss. And with his death, he destroys all of the accompanying pain and hurt and separation forever. Because he lived the perfect life, because he lived the blameless, perfect life on earth, he paid the punishment for our sins. So that when he died, the debts we owe as individuals and as a human race are paid. And so there's access to his kingdom. Access to his kingdom. And because of his resurrection, he's not stuck in some tomb or stuck in some coffin, he is now at the right hand of God forever. An eternal king with an eternal kingdom that can't be overpowered, can't be overtaken, can't be broken, can't be smashed. So there's a coronation of a king coming and there's a funeral of a queen coming. We're not going. We're not going to be invited to either of those unless we are very, very lucky, very, very special, very, very privileged, very chosen, or in the right place at the right time with the right clothes on, saying and doing the right things. We're not getting into the presence of the king. But the kingdom of God is quite different. It's quite different different in fact Jesus tells a parable about it where he says a man went out a king went out and invited all the right people to come and they were too busy so he went out and he invited everybody the least the last the lost the poor those in the streets everybody was invited to come and to meet the king of kings and so when Jesus died and the curtain is ripped into in the temple, the point is about access. It's about having access to the throne of God, the living God. If you remember the story of Esther, which we've heard a couple of times in the last year here, Esther couldn't go into the king. She was queen, and she couldn't walk into the king's presence. But we now have access to the king of kings. And not only that, but a banquet's being prepared in heaven for us so that we, young, old, rich, poor, whoever we are, can join that eternal party. And better still, not only that, but he gives us the power now as his subjects to be his hands and feet. He gives us gifts so that we can actually be his servants, the servants of the king on earth. So Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift that God has given you. So being in the kingdom of God, it's not just pie in the sky when you die. It's here on a plate while you wait. Because King Jesus gives his spirit to us. Now, I don't I don't get it. I don't quite get this. I'm going to be honest. But the Spirit of God in Acts is given to the followers of Jesus so that we can do great things. And one of the books of the Bible, Ephesians, puts it like this. We're his workmanship created for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Even in the Old Testament, one of the prophets there says God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So as well as being an eternal kingdom out there, that we're gonna one day be part of a massive kind of party thing, the kingdom of God can be within us. So when we accept Jesus as king, he comes with his Holy Spirit, into our hearts to empower us to do the things we can and were meant to do and to be his servants. So I urge you to live as worthy citizens of heaven, to be like the King of Kings, to be just, to be fair, to be compassionate, to support the poor, to bring good news, to be salt and light in this world, to be the living embodiment of the kingdom of God wherever you go and throughout the years of Epping Forest Community Church there has always been that sense that we are there for the least the last the lost those who need help the most we've been there to bring healing and hope and a future and many of us here can testify to when we've been in dark dark times in this church through the people have made a difference and we're called to be those people who make a difference in a dark world. So I really encourage you to do that. Um, But I started this talk with a little parable from the New Testament. And uh, it's a parable from Matthew. Uh, Jesus loved parables. I think we know that. He loved stories. They're really simple. They're really visual. um, And we can apply them quite easily. So he said this. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who buys a field because it's got this special treasure in it. Or it's like a merchant who sees an amazing pearl and sells everything he's got to buy it. In both of them, people give up everything because they found something of immense value. Now, I've got a book here, uh, which my late grandma gave me. And uh, I'm going to be honest here, she didn't give it to me. She actually gave it to my brother. My brother's called Nicholas, and uh, there's no way of avoiding it because it says Nicholas duttnall in it. But I stole it, um, and I've had it for 20-odd years. Um, and this is an awesome, awesome book. You can't buy it anymore, unlucky. You can sometimes get it on Amazon. But it's called Hippity Dog and the Jolly Boy Transfer. And uh, there are some books that I read regularly. Um, This is a book I can't read without crying, because obviously it talks to me a bit about my grandma, it talks to me a bit about growing up, but the best thing is the story. Hippity Dog and the Jolly Boy Transfer is one of the greatest stories in the world. Roald Dahl wrote Fantastic Mr Fox. If you've never read it, it possibly is one of the most brilliantly structured books in the entire world. But Hippity Dog tells the story of a struggling football team of rabbits. And the owner realises they're in trouble. Everybody is old. Everybody is useless. Nobody can play very well. They can't even stand up. And the owner hears of Nippy Clinch. And Nippy Clinch is the world's greatest footballer. And they want... Nippy Clinch to come and join the club, but the problem is Nippy Clinch is not cheap. In today's world, it actually says in the book, he's 25,000 um, pounds. So let's call that 250 million pounds. Yeah? That's the equivalent. They realize if they could just buy Nippy Clinch, everything would be sorted for the team. They'd stop losing, they'd start winning. So the chairman of the club decides he's going to get Nippy Clinch, but he doesn't tell anyone. And the whole story in the book is about the way that the chairman goes about getting the money for Nippy Clinch. Um, He ends up selling everything. He ends up selling his house. He moves into a broken-down shed. He sells all his clothes. He sells his golf clubs. He sells all of the things, including his priceless medal that he won when he fought in the war. But in the end he's raised enough money to get Nippy Clinch and he stands there in his pants in the meeting of the footballers and he says to them, here we go, here is Nippy Ch- Nippy Clinch and he's bought Nippy Clinch, he's got the money. Uh, and he starts crying and everyone starts crying and he has to borrow a handkerchief because he hasn't even got a handkerchief left. And everything changes and the rabbit season turn round, and the rabbits win the FA Cup. And uh, it's special. But it's special to me because this, it reminds me of the scene in Schindler's List where Oscar Schindler at the end of it, um, having saved hundreds of Jews, um, looks to himself and, and, and says, but I still got a watch, I could have sold my watch and got more Jews out. And the picture for me reminds me of my grandma and her servant heart, but it also reminds me of the importance of the kingdom of God. There's nothing like it, and there never ever will be anything like it. The ability to know Christ, the ability to walk with Jesus through his spirit, to hear from him and to move forward with him and to be part of that kingdom is the pearl of great great price. It's worth giving everything you have and everything you are for. So I encourage you, um, think about Nippy Clinch and the Jolly Boy Transfer. It's been really precious being part of this community, and I know I'll see lots of you moving forward. But I urge you to remember that we're part of the kingdom of God. Um, It's unbreakable, it's eternal, it's within us, it's in all of us. Find your place, um, and God bless you. Thank you.